Are you all doing? You okay? Man. I think um, I think we need a rebellion. What do you reckon? I think we need a rebellion against complacency, apathy, this heaviness that seems to be sitting over people over the last two and a half years. I think the church needs to lead a rebellion, uh, especially when we're in the season of joy, love, goodness, kindness, mercy, grace. Okay, I'm the only one. Seriously, there's so many depressed people out there and we're meant to be the light of the world. We're meant to be a city on a hill shining that everybody can go, hey, actually, that's the way to live. And, and I just think we've just got to turn your frown upside down and get a smile on your face and start being excited about what the season is all about, what God is all about, what God wants to do in your world. Yeah, because sometimes I think, I look at my own life sometimes and I'm like, I'm up here talking to you about who God is and all the great things that he can do for you. But if I'm really honest with myself, half the time I don't know if I believe that he's going to do that. And I think we've got we've to give ourselves a spiritual uppercut and, and come on, shake ourselves up and go, come on, man, we've got to believe this. This is God. This is, this is, this is what it's all about. Yes? yes? And I get a better response than that. Yes. All right, that's better. All right, how you doing? All right, we're going to get into the Christmas story. And, and the Christmas story is kind of, it's weird. Because I think this season is all about God's love for us. But God shows his love for us in the most unusual way. You know, like when I say to Trinity, hey, um, I really, really love you. And, uh, and to prove that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get, I'm going to sacrifice Seth to prove that I love you. It, it's not normal, is it? I'm looking at some of the parents and I'm like, well, you know, maybe. Uh, it's, a not, it's not a usual way that you show love. And God's, this season is all about God's unusual way that he showed love to the world in a way that, that no one would ever have predicted. No one ever thought that this was what it would be. Even the the religious scholars of the day didn't recognize Jesus for who he was, even though they knew that it was prophesied that the Messiah would come. They never recognized him because it became in such an unpredictable way. And right at the start of the story, there's there's this talking about three wise men. And it's interesting that the Bible calls them three wise men. Another word for them is Medji. Um, M-A-G-I, not as a Magi, what you put in with chicken and you make a pasta dish. Different kind of Magi. And they're really what they were. They were incredibly intelligent, learned, wealthy people. They, they weren't so much, I, I think when it says the three wise men, really what it's talking about is that they, they were wealthy, they were educated, they were quite prominent people. How many people know that just because you're wealthy and educated and prominent doesn't mean that you're wise? Yes? But this is what he talks about them, that they came a long way to see Jesus. They traveled from a long, long way away. King Herod intercepted them at one stage and said, you need to tell me where this baby is when you find him. We know in the story that he, they don't do that, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But the crazy thing about these incredibly wise, educated, wealthy men is they brought 
gifts to Christ. This baby born in a manger in a cave, um, they brought gifts to him. We pick up the story in Matthew 2 verse 10 to 11 and it says this, when they, the wise men, saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house, well it's not really a house, it was a cave, and saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. When they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I think the interesting thing here that we see about these incredibly educated, wealthy, wise men is the very first thing they did when they saw Jesus in the manger in a cave is that they bowed down and worshipped him. Before they did anything else, before they went into their treasure chests, they bowed down and worshipped him. I wonder what that would be like. You know, sometimes when, when the kids were younger, I would go away overseas for work or whatever, and none of them, neither of them would come and bow down and worship me before I opened up my suitcase and pulled out the treasures that I brought them while I was overseas. I'm just joking this morning. Can you loosen up a little bit today? Yes? They would just be straight into, where's my present, where's my present, where's my present? These wise men, the first thing they did is they bowed down, they worshipped him, and they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And everything in Scripture means something. Um, there's a really, really good book if you want to buy it so that you can understand Scripture more by a guy called Kevin Connor. It's called Types and Shadows of the Bible. And what he does is he goes through and he talks about what all the different numbers mean in the Bible, what all the different colors mean in the Bible, what all the different types and shadows there are of, of like Jonah in the belly of a whale for three days is a shadow of Christ death and resurrection are going into the tomb for three days and then rising again. There's all this stuff all the way through Scripture. And so everything that we see in Scripture represents something. And in this story, we could so quickly go past the frankincense and the myrrh and the gold and just move on to something else. But there's something significant in these three gifts that right from the start of Jesus' birth, he's declaring who he is by the gifts that were given to him. The first thing is frankincense. Frankincense in Scripture represents Jesus as the high priest. Jesus as the one who represents the people to God. The one who stands in the gap and who would give his life and would sit at the right hand of God and make intercession for us on our behalf towards God. It, it shows him as the high priest right from the start as he's there, a baby in the manger, that the frankincense as a gift is declaring that Jesus is the high priest, that Jesus is the one that intercedes on our behalf, that Jesus is the one who sits at the right hand of the Father, that Jesus is our high priest. Isn't that exciting? Right from the start, he's declaring who he is. The myrrh represents Jesus as the suffering servant and the Lamb of God. That he's the one who would die on the cross, that he would suffer for us, that he would be the Lamb that was sacrificed on our behalf. Right at the start, God is making it clear. The Jews would have understood this, but we don't get it because we're not in that culture. But he's declaring right from the start that he's the high priest that intercedes for you. He's the one who's going to lay down his life for you. And then there's gold. And gold in that society, and even today, because it was a secrety, because it, was, it wasn't much of it around, because it's very 
because it's not a lot, then it's worth a lot. And gold was considered the gift for a king. So here we have right at the start, the three gifts represent him as the high priest that intercedes for us on our behalf, that he's the one who's going to suffer for us so that we don't need to. He's going to take away the sin of the world. But hey, guess what? He's the king. And I think we're really, really comfortable with Jesus, the high priest. I think we're really, really comfortable with Jesus, the Lamb of God. I don't think we're that comfortable with Jesus as king. But he is king. It speaks of the kingship of Christ, that Jesus is king. Jesus is not a person born on the earth, only he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And right from the beginning of his life, as these gifts come in, God is declaring, he is the king. Yes, he's the suffering servant. Yes, he's the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Yes, he's the high priest that intercedes on our behalf, but he's also king. He's also ruler. He's also the authority over us. 1 Timothy 6.15 puts it this way. For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now we read that and we think that's cool, but we have to understand that the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. And Paul, who's writing this letter to Timothy, could not have in the Greek explained it more powerfully than what he stated right here. That thing there where it says King of Kings and Lord of Lords, in the Greek it literally means this, that Jesus is the supreme authority over all the kingdoms of the world. He, he couldn't have declared it stronger, that Jesus is the supreme authority, that he's above all things. Everything is underneath him. He is above all things. And right at the start of Jesus' earthly life, God is declaring he is above all things. He is the supreme authority. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Yes, he'll take away the sin of the world. Yes, he intercedes on our behalf, but he's also your king. He's a king. He's the king. And the entire cosmos is in the hands of King Jesus. And he is a king like no other king that has ever been or ever will be. God had a very unusual and unexpected way to show his love to the world through this king. Through the King Jesus. You see, people were expecting a Messiah, a Savior, a king to be born. It had been prophesied. The problem is, is that the Jews were expecting their king that would save them from the Romans. They were expecting their king would be born in a palace surrounded by wealth and surrounded by comfort. No one expected the king to be born in poverty, in a cave next to stinky farm animals. They didn't expect the Savior, the Messiah, to be a son of a carpenter from Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He's a builder. He's a carpenter. He's meant to be king. No one predicted that the king of glory, the son of God, would befriend prostitutes and tax collectors and touch lepers and love 
people who weren't part of the religious institutions, the ones that everybody else had rejected, he would be the one that loved them. They never imagined the king would choose an uneducated fisherman and despised tax collectors to be, and re, rebellious troublemakers to become his disciples, his followers. No one expected that. No one imagined a king that would forgive a woman caught in adultery according to the law should have been stoned, that he would confront the hypocrisy of the Pharisees time and time again, that he would overturn tables when people mistreated the temple as a place for personal profit, they never imagined a king who would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey and those who were cheering for his arrival would be the outcasts, the overlooked, and even the immoral ones. No one expected a king to stand trial for crimes that he never, ever committed. No one imagined an innocent king would be beaten, whipped, scowled, stripped naked to hang on an instrument of torture called the cross, dying by a death that criminals only deserve to die by. No one ever imagined a king hanging on a cross as the creator of all the flesh that was around him, of all the creation that was around him. As that creation, the people mocked him, spat on him, that this king, while he was suffering, would look up to heaven and pray a prayer of mercy upon those that were doing that, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. No one expected a king to die a shameful death in front of people mocking him when he breathed his last. No one predicted that the sky would go dark, that the earth would shake and the world would lose all of its hope as they buried a dead king in a borrowed grave. No one expected that three days later the stone would be rolled away from the tomb and his body would not be there. That this king had risen from the dead and sits at the right hand of Father Almighty. No one expected a king like that, but that's your king. That's your king. And I want to tell you about this king, this king that's like no other. And in the story of Jesus' birth, there are three responses from three different people or three different groups, very distinctive reactions to Jesus as king. And I'm here to tell you today, these are, the same, these are the same reactions that we get from people today. Maybe even you. Are you with me? I encourage you this morning to be honest with yourself today. Because you might find, as I mentioned one of these, that you're right smack in the middle of one of these very distinct very common responses to Jesus as king. This is an unusual message this morning because usually we talk about Jesus being saviour of the world at this time and how he was this and that, but I, I feel like God's trying to say, hey, hey, I'm also king. And I think that we have been in a season for far too long worldwide that we have got distracted away from the fact that he's king. We've wanted him to be the rescuer. We've wanted him to fix everything that we think has gone wrong. We've wanted him to do this for us, do that. We, we have loved him as the high priest. And we have loved him as the suffering servant. I think we've struggled in this season to acknowledge him as king. There are three responses. The first one was by King Herod. And Herod opposed Christ as king. 
He wanted to guard and protect his kingship. He heard that a king was going to be born. He was under threat now. He was under, his kingdom was under threat of this new king. And so Herod orders that all the boys aged two and under in Bethlehem would be put to death because he heard there might be a king who might threaten his kingdom. Herod opposed Jesus. Can I just throw this in as a side thing for you? It's nothing to do with the message, but I've always found this interesting, and I've mentioned it before, and I'll mention it again. There's only been three times in history that it's been legal to murder babies. One when, Jesus was, one when Moses was born deliverer of Israel, two when Jesus was born deliverer of everybody, and three right now in our society. And I would suggest to you that the generation that is trying to come through is a generation that's meant to deliver the world from the hold of the enemy. And our awesome government is one of the worst when it comes to abortion. I never intended to talk about this, but I'm going to say it right here. I, I don't understand people that can vote for a government that's agrees to the abortion laws that we currently have. People that vote... <laughs> you know what? I might as well go there. I'm already there. The problem with New Zealanders, including Christians, is we vote selfishly. We vote for what we want. We don't vote kingdom. I can't vote for anyone that agrees with abortion, that thinks that euthanasia is okay, and is going to vote for this hate speech where they're basically going to try and turn the Bible into being a hate book and outlaw it. Like, you can't vote for anybody that agrees with that. That goes against all our moral judgments of what Scripture teaches us. Anyway, side note done. (laughs) So he orders the killing of all these kids because his kingdom is under threat. I hear it today put this way. You may not oppose Jesus by having all the kids killed, but I hear people oppose Jesus this way. I don't need Jesus. I don't need religion. I don't need that God stuff. I'm doing fine on my own. I don't need any of that thing. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I'm fine. I'm in charge of my own life, my body, my choice. I'm in charge of my own world. You, you know what, friend? That's, you're opposing his kingship because the king is in charge and the king makes the calls. The king, it's, this is not a democracy. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. You don't all get a say. We don't all get a say. It's a theocracy. It's run by the king and the king decides. It's so quiet in here today. You may not think you're opposing him, but if that's your mindset, then you are opposing him as king. I'm going to do life my way. Nobody can tell me what to do. I don't need some stupid church to tell me how I should live my life. You're just opposing Jesus as king. Herod opposed him as king. And the second group, I think, is profoundly common today. And it was the Jewish priests. They didn't oppose Jesus as king. They dismissed Jesus as king. They dismissed him. They just blew him off. 
even though they went around quoting from, uh, from Micah 2, went around quoting this verse that there would be a ruler from Bethlehem, even though they went around telling everyone that the Messiah was going to come from Bethlehem, they were only five miles away from where he was going to come from, and they didn't even show up to worship him. They saw the star, they knew the prophecies, the three wise men knew them too, they turned up to worship him, but not the, not the Jewish priests, they just dismissed him. And all the way through Jesus' story of his life, you see it time and time again where they just dismissed him, or they tried to trick him, or they tried to find ways to judge him. They didn't, they didn't receive him, they dismissed him as king. And the same kind of things happens all the time. Hey man, you should be in church. Nah, sun's shining, beach is calling. Man, how about we, how about we get together and we, and we do some study, we really read God's word because his word is, is filled with life and freedom and hope. Nah, it's not, it's not really my thing. I'm not really a reader. It's not really my thing. Oh, hey man, um, I really, I really encourage you. Why don't you share your story about what Jesus has done with you to, to a broken world out there? Like, like look for opportunity to, to share and talk about what Jesus has done for you. No, 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 mate. I'm, I'm a bit busy. I'm going out with my mates. We're going to the movies. We just dismiss him. I mean, of all the times of the year that the church should be alive and vibrant and inviting people to be part of what is happening, it should be Christmas. Herod opposed him. The Jewish priest did what is so common today, and they dismissed him. But then there were the wise men, and the wise men bowed down to Jesus as king. The ultimate response to show reverence, awe, and honor to the God of heaven who became one of us in the person of Jesus. What they literally said in that moment of bowing down is they said, hey, it's not about me. It's not about my throne. It's not about my desires. It's not about my position. With everything in me, I bow down. The most surrendered posture you could ever have is to bow down and show reverence to the king of kings, the king of the universe. They bowed down and they worshipped him. And when they bowed down in our day, we think this is a bow. In their day, this was a bow. They would lie down on their face before him, bowed down as low as they could get. They bowed down before him. Herod opposed him. The Jewish priests dismissed him, but they bowed down before him. And so I'm curious, which is your response to him in this season? Is it to oppose what he's trying to do in your life? Is it to dismiss what he's trying to do in your life? Are you going to be someone who bows down to him in this season? Well, I, I don't really need him. I've got this. I've got this, then you're opposing him. You might not call it that, but that's what you're doing. When you don't let him be king of your life and you don't let him take rulership of your life, you're opposing him. Or maybe you're just dismissing him. I'll, I'll get to it. I, I, know I, 
I know I should be reading my Bible and praying and stuff. I'll get to it. In the new year. I'll do it in the new year. That sounds like me and trying to get healthy and eat better and do some exercise. In the new year. I'll just get through this Christmas season and in the new year. In the new year, I'll do that. In the new year, I'll, I'll start rocking up to church three out of four Sundays, which is what everybody should be doing. In the new year, I'll do that. Or, man, I tried the church thing. It doesn't really work for me. It's not really my vibe. It's good for some people, but not for me. And so they just dismiss him, oppose him, dismiss him. Or is he the king of your heart? Is he the king of your life? Is he the Lord of lords and the king of kings? You see, everything within me right now for you, all I really want is for you to know him. That's it. I just want you to know him. But I mean, really know him. You see, as a kid, I grew up in church. I went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, every single day of my life. My parents were pastors. I knew about Jesus. I just never knew Jesus. I, I knew all the things to do. You know, even as I got older, I hear music's going, it's, it's faster songs. Oh, now we're doing slow ones. Someone's getting prayed for. I, I knew all the things to do. I knew about him. I just didn't know him. I didn't actually open up my heart and let him come and reside as king. I knew about him, but I didn't know him. And there were times where I opposed him, especially in my teenage years, where I was like, man, I got this. I don't need you. I'm actually going to do this my way because my way is better. I'm going to have fun. I'm just, it's just for a season. I'm just, you know, like... It's so restricted following Jesus. I'm just going to loosen up a little bit for a season of my life. I'm going to do my thing. There were times where I dismissed him, you know, where I was just like, maybe this God thing, just it's cool for, I can see that it works for all the other people in the church, but it's just not really working for me. But I'll, I'll keep turning up because I've got to keep mum and dad happy. But I'm not, I'm not going to engage in it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give my life to it. It's, it's, it's cool, but it's just not me. And so I dismissed him. And, and, and all the times that I opposed him and all the times that I dismissed him, no matter what I was doing, there was this aching in my soul for him. Didn't, mean how many, didn't matter how many parties I went to. Didn't matter how many girlfriends I had. Didn't matter all the stuff that I did. Didn't matter all the, all the clown shows I used to put on at school so everyone would think I was cool and amazing. I knew that I had done so many things wrong but I had this ache in my heart, this ache in my soul for God. And so then what I tried to do is I tried to be good. I realized I'd done so much wrong, so I tried to be good. And, and I'm trying to be good. I'm working hard at being good. I'm praying that God would help me be good, even though I'm not really following him because I'm like, man, if I can be good, I'll be okay. Can I tell you that if you're spending your whole life trying to be good, then you're caught up in a works-based Christianity, where you think it's based on your efforts. And that's not how it works. In fact, Trinity read a quote to me yesterday and I thought it was so cool because we've got so many, there's so many people out there that have flesh problems. You know, 
those things that we have problems with in our flesh, our cravings, our desires that we know are wrong. And we're praying that God would deliver us from them when the Bible says that we crucify our flesh. God doesn't deliver you from your fleshly desires. You're meant to crucify them on the cross. And so here I am trying to be good, hoping that God will deliver me from all of my bad habits instead of crucifying my bad habits. The more I tried, the more I failed. And so church became to me just a place of rules and rituals. I had this, my parents never ever taught me this. They were pastors and never taught me this. But, you know, there's this, those subliminal messages that come through in church life. Things like, when I was growing up, you're not allowed to do anything on a Sunday that's the Sabbath. And if you do something on a Sunday that's a form of work, God will punish you. That's, that's never what my parents taught me, but that's what I took on board with all the rubbish that used to go around. And one day my stereo stopped working. And so I thought I need to fix my stereo because what teenager doesn't love having music blaring 24-7, yeah? And so I thought I'd fix my stereo. In the process of fixing my stereo, I just broke it all the more. And I did that on a Sunday. And so I was like, God's punishing me. For, that's, that was my mindset. All these rules and rituals and regulations. And even though I hated all of that, something just kept drawing me back. And the thing that kept drawing me back to him was not a little baby. In a manger that grew up to be a nice guy and played with kids and patted lambs. That was not what drew me back. What drew me to Christ at 18 years of age eventually and got me serious and got me to know him. What drew me to Christ was a king who stripped himself of all the glory of heaven, born of a virgin, in poverty, in a cave, reaching out to the lowest of lows, those who were despised, those who just can't get it right, those who are a financial mess, those whose first marriage didn't work, those who use substances to try to find meaning in all the wrong places and going to bed longing for something more and hurting and feeling empty. He came for people just like that. And that's the kind of person that I was. And that's the kind of person that you were. And he loved me right where I was and forgave me, not because I was good, but because he was incredibly good. And I just want you to know him, that God, that King, I pray today for you, if you have been opposing him or dismissing him, that somehow you would see this love of God that is so great for you, that urges you to be in relationship with him. Can I just get the band up? That'd be awesome because I, I want you to understand who this king is. Sometimes when we hear the word king, we think someone who's a dictator, a ruler, somebody who, who just stands over an overlord. But I want to tell you about this king, Jesus. He's not distant, angry, uninvolved judge, wanting for you to mess up. He's not the man upstairs. He's not the big guy in the sky. Jesus is not your homeboy. 
He is not an eight pound, six out newborn baby Jesus. He is the righteous King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. Who is this King? He is the King of glory, the Bible says. He is the King of righteousness. He is the King of of the ages. He is the King of all kings. He heals the sick. He is our King. He opens blind eyes. He heals deaf ears. He strengthens the weak. He delivers the captive. He rose those. He, he restores, sorry, those that are broken and hurting. He's our King. He's our King. That's who He is. He delivers the captive. He's a shelter in your time of trouble. He is a light when your world is dark. He is the Prince of Peace, the Lamb of God, the Alpha and Omega. He is the resurrection and the life. He's our King. His goodness is indescribable. His power is incomprehensible. His grace is irresistible. He's our King. At His name, darkness trembles. In His presence, demons flee. Death could not defeat Him. The grave could not hold Him. Jesus is the King. And I want you to know that King. Not the King that you think He is, but the King that He actually is. And if you don't want to be someone who opposes Him, if you don't want to be somebody who dismisses Him, because you can now see who this King really is, then I want you to revere Him. I want you to honour Him. I want you to encourage you right now in this place. If that's you and you're like, man, I want to be like the three wise men. Why don't we stand to our feet right now in this place and lift our hands to heaven. Come on, lift up His name. Let's give Him praise. Come on, come on, let's give Him praise this morning. Every single person across this place, come on. Father, you've heard us this morning. We declare that you are the King. You're our King. You're my King. You're the King of Kings. Come and reign in our worlds. Come and reign in our lives. Come and reign in our church. Come and reign in our workplaces. Come and reign in our neighbourhoods. Come and reign in our community. Be the King. Be the King. We step aside, Father. And we declare you as King of our lives. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the thing about letting him be king. Is that the outcomes become the king's problem. If I let him be king of my life and I do what the king tells me to do, and things aren't going well, it's not my job to fix it. I'm a servant of the king. It's the king's job to fix it for the servant. I appeal to the king, and the king does the fixing. Man, if we can let it be king this season, it won't be easy for some of us it won't be easy for a lot of us let's be honest it's not easy for any of us because the reality is every single one of us under the surface is a control freak and we like to be in charge of our lives 
But when we put our hands into the hands of the king, we get the king's reward. Trust him. Let him be king. Yes, appeal to him as the high priest. Yes, love on him as the Lamb of God. But whatever we do, can we bow down before him and let him be king in everything we do? Because when the king steps in, everything starts to shift. Father, be with these people. Those that are watching online right now, God, some of them are incredibly sick right now. Be king in their bodies right now. We speak healing in Jesus' name. In fact, God, we come against sickness in families right now. This, this viral flu sickness thing that has just knocked families down for weeks and weeks and weeks. We come against it right now in Jesus' name. We command it to cease moving in this nation in any way, shape, or form. We command COVID to leave. We command anything that is trying to pull people away from you, that is trying to bring people down. We curse it and we command it to leave our nation in Jesus' name, to leave the families that are in our community in Jesus' name, that we're going to be a place, we're going to be a country that's the healthiest in the world because we have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords on our side. And so we say, go, go forth, God. Let your word go out there. Lord, that we are healed because of your stripes. We are healed. We command every single person in this place and listening online for their bodies to receive healing of the King. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Health and prosperity are the rewards of a king. And so you can tell him, hey, come on, God. Come on, king. Do your thing. Yeah, oh, I'm a poet and I didn't know it. Thank you for coming today. So love that you're here. Hey, can I encourage you? Can we reach out to people this week who maybe weren't here today or we haven't seen in a while? You know, people are going through some really tough times and it's, it's not all on just the leaders to love on people, yeah? We're, we're meant to be family, Yes? Yep. It's not just on the parents to make sure family works. It's on the whole family to make sure family works. So let's reach out to people and make sure they're okay. Make sure they're all right. People are just going through some real difficult stuff. Some people are going through major mental health. Some people are going through some major um, physical illnesses. Some people are really struggling financially right now. And we, we just need to be family. We just need to get around people. We just need to love on them. I think that's what the king would want. Hey, God bless you. Stick around. Grab tea and coffee with us. If you're new, fill out the Live Connected card. We just want to send you an email that just says, hey, thanks so much for coming. If you want to know more about who we are, then, and then these are the next steps for you. But why don't we also make sure that we're talking to people today, yeah? Let's get out there. Let's make sure we're out in the foyer talking, not in here talking, meeting with people, talking with people, making people feel welcome and loved. God bless you. We'll see you all next Sunday.